Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, a savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, the strong and powerful Ari Rosenbaum. Ari, are you ready to do this? Absolutely. Excellent. Let's do this. Ari is an ERISA and retirement plan attorney who helps plan sponsors reduce their plan costs, facilitate administration, and limit fiduciary liability. His work also includes nine years working as an attorney for third-party retirement plan administration firms. He works on a flat fee model. Excited to have you on. Ari, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Uh, personal life, uh, married, two kids, live on Long Island, uh, big Mets fan, uh, <laughs> big Kirby enthusiasm fan, big Howard Stern fan. That's about it. Nice. Well, my wife is from Connecticut and she had the choice to take any team and she took the Mets. So by default, I am also <laughs> a Mets fan. So, so I love it. Um, well, tell us a little bit about your work, why you got into it in the first place and all that good stuff. Uh, really, you know, the joke is, well, the, the answer is the joke, but, uh, I always ask, get asked why an ERISA attorney, um, went to law school, couldn't find a job, uh, went for a tax LLM degree at Boston university, graduated, still couldn't find a job. And the first <laughs> was as an ERISA attorney working, uh, for a third party record keeping firm that was based in Manhattan and was moving to SIAS at Long Island. So that's the summer of 98. So it's 20 years almost. Got it. So to a degree, you happened into it, but you found it to be rewarding and important work. So you're still at it. Uh, yeah. Uh, but, you know, the funny thing is uh, when you talk to people and they say, what kind of law do you do? And I said, well, you know, I'm Marissa attorney. And you tell them what that is. They don't understand it. And you like, I, I deal with retirement plans. I deal with 401k plans. And then finally, when you mention 401k plans, they finally understand it. The light bulb turns on. Exactly. <laughs> so, as an ERISA attorney, what does what does most of your work entail? Uh, it really runs the gamut. Uh, a, a good chunk of it is uh, obviously when plans go wrong, when there are issues with plans. Um, it could be something, uh, for example, right now I, I I have a situation with a plan uh, that had to. Um, apply to the voluntary compliance program because they failed discrimination testing for a few years, didn't know about it because their TPA didn't communicate with them very well and they had to make up $45,000 and make up contributions over the last four or five years. And, you know, that's one uh, issue. Uh, client opinion letters when somebody wants to uh, have a plan deal with transaction that needs an opinion on whether it's a private transaction or not. Um I have third-party administration and advisory firms that I work with. So one of the firms now, I have to work on looking at their advisor agreements and trying to make sure that everything that they have right now is up to snuff, especially with fee disclosure and especially with what's going on in the marketplace. Got it. And when you say especially what's going on in the marketplace, what are some of those key areas? Well, uh, obviously fee disclosure. Uh, obviously most firms in the past six years had to revise their um, – service agreements to make sure that they complied with fee disclosure. And then uh, just because you don't know where they where these firms got these agreements in the first place and you just want to make sure that uh, it's currently up to par. Uh, when I say what's going on right now, obviously now the fiduciary rules 
the fiduciary rule has been effectively killed. So I'm dealing with RIA firms who comply with the old rule and would have complied with the new rule anyway. So, Got it. Obviously, that was on everybody's the tip of everyone's tongue for a really long time, and now it doesn't appear to uh, to be moving anywhere. But we will see. I'm sure it'll come back up at some point. Do you have sure. thoughts on that? Uh, I my opinion is is that uh, if you were a broker, you have no uh, reason to celebrate because I believe that any fiduciary rule that's going to come down further down the line, and there will be is going to be more disadvantageous for business than the one that they had just proposed and implement, well, tried to implement and then effectively killed. So, you know, be careful what you wish for. Uh, soon you may get it. They may get something that's far worse for business. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting point. I just read an article this morning about uh, no-load insurance products, and so it seems like the entire financial industry, insurance industry, is probably moving more towards that fiduciary model, even though it will probably take the insurance industry a little bit longer. Sure, absolutely. So, um, Cybersecurity is another thing that's been on the tips of everyone's or kind of top of mind as of late. Um, what do you see as the biggest challenges for record keepers? Uh, obviously, to make sure that, yeah. Obviously, with anybody involved with the retirement plans and dealing with retirement plan assets, you just don't want to get hacked. Um, in terms of plans, uh, third-party record-keeping firms, they just have to make sure that their systems are in place. They can't get prone to hacking, uh, especially. You know, you have to understand that uh, most of these plans are custodied. Uh, the assets are custodied at a big firm like Fidelity and Schwab and Matrix and Mid-Atlantic and so many other firms out there, you want to make sure that their systems can't get hacked because that's where the money is. Uh, as a third-party record-keeping firm, you also don't want to, you want to make sure that your uh, records aren't prone to being uh, pierced. Um, you have participant data, social security numbers. I think that that is probably, as a third-party administration firm, you have to worry, out, uh, worry the most that the data that you have dealing with participant information, you because obviously uh, when it comes to retirement plans, you have their date of birth, their social security number, their address, uh, any beneficiary information. And obviously social security numbers are such a big commodity on the black market uh, that you want to make sure that your data isn't breached. And, you know, in, in terms of theft of plan assets, uh, you always have to worry about cybersecurity, but you, you've always had to worry about plan providers who've stolen money in the past. I mean, and that's happened in the last few years, so that's always been a concern. But in terms of cybersecurity, to me, if I'm a uh, dealing with retirement plans, my participant data is what I'm probably most concerned about. Yeah, I appreciate that. So technology is is obviously changing quickly and fast. I know that when I'm on social media sites, I will occasionally get some kind of an ad for a really low cost, easy to administer 401k plan for employees. Um, and I imagine that those are going to be proliferating and more and more. Um, so that's going to be the longest question I've ever asked anybody. I also saw a blog post of yours talking about how uh, boilerplated or templated 401k plans are good. They're good for the person offering it, but not necessarily good for the end user. So talk a little bit about how you think technology is going to improve the 401k or retirement plan world and how that's also going to be bad. Uh, I've always, you know, I've, I've been, I've been in the business so long ago that I mean, it's hard to believe it's 20 years ago. And when I first started out, 
we had no participant website. Uh, it, it started out, wow. everybody was going to daily 401k plans. Uh, it was still do done over the phone. It was still done uh, through paper. And then in around 2000, 99, 2000, uh, I was with this TPA that developed a website. It was called Smart Plan, and it was always down. Uh, so we, we, they, you know, I knew the people who worked the phones for it. And you know, when you have participants call and they said, "Oh, the smart plans," you know, they would always make any joke about how dumb the smart plan was. <laughs> but not only that, I remember you couldn't even get, you couldn't change your uh, deferral election. It would just give you the account balance by source and whatever. And, and so you've, it's amazing on how it's progressed. And you know, getting the information on your phone—that's uh, always interesting. Uh, but obviously with the technological aspect, with great technology comes greater responsibility. I mean, you know, to throw a line from Spider-Man and, uh, uh, plan sponsors, uh, really have to be wary about which companies they select, uh, especially if they do select one on the internet or select one that's the cheapest plan provider out there because they're quite honestly, there are plan providers out there who, uh, don't do a very good job, uh, you know, because they charge so less or you have to worry about, uh, you know, who you're dealing with. Uh, a few months back, I disclosed uh, about a, uh, uh, a plan provider where it's alleged that one of the uh, people behind the firm uh, pled guilty to uh, check uh, writing, for, uh, check, check fraud. Uh, you know, you're, you're entrusting your plan assets to somebody and it's to me uh, something as simply as Googling the people that you're entrusting your money with or entrusting your plan with is something that every plan sponsor should really do. Got it. And that's that's certainly good good advice and to a degree common sense, but you wish more people would take advantage of that common sense and, and, and put it to work. So. Right. And, and as far as the template plans, um, why it doesn't work for the plan sponsor is because plan sponsor, you know, there isn't a one-size-fits-all. I always talk about the Model T. Um, Henry Ford said you could get any color you want as long as it was black. Uh, and a lot of plan providers are out there with their plan documents where, you know what, uh, this is all you can get. Uh, if you want to do a profit-sharing contribution, everybody's got to get, get the same percentage. And plan sponsors who want to give a, a higher percentage to the highly compensated employees, they may be constricted by the plan documents that their provider gave. So you know, small employers that have a, a SEP plan – that's you know you got to give everybody the same percentage and there are no deferrals so you always have to be wary uh, about these template plans right right um i was just reading about how 42 percent of americans have less than ten thousand dollars saved and only 35 or 35 percent of private sector workers don't have access to a retirement plan and those numbers probably vary depending on what what article you read but it's not it's it's not a great story so in your experience 20 years of experience in the space what do you wish that 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 people knew more of in terms of retirement savings uh the reality that uh Defined benefit plans kind of went away because of the cost and, you know, and the hidden fact that people were living a little bit too longer, but nobody wants to talk about that. But uh, I think what they need to realize is, is that how Social Security doesn't really give you much of a savings. Uh, you need to have some type of retirement savings uh, in order to live. Uh, you know, you, you don't, you don't want to be the person who has to work till their dying day. Um, and understanding the value of setting aside money, especially on a 401k plan, 
having access to it and how uh, it, 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 it's a sacrifice. But in the long run, in terms of retirement savings and allowing that money either to grow tax deferred or if they chose a Roth 401k to grow tax free, uh, that they really need to, to do that and they need to do it as early as they can. You know, when I first started out, that was the big thing. Get a 401k plan. It took me a year to get in, and then when I started getting in, I started putting as you know much as I could. And uh, I think that that's really the um, conundrum that I think this country is facing. I still think we, we still have this retirement crisis uh, that's really only going to bear out in the next 20 years when my generation is going to start to retire. I'm 45, so when my generation starts to retire and they don't have pensions because. You know, we don't work for government and we don't work for businesses that uh, have them anymore. Uh, that's where you're really going to see it. Do you think it's a matter of people just haven't figured out, figured that out because this is really the first sort of generation of people that don't have access to a defined benefit plan? Is it procrastination? I don't. I think it's a varying degree, but I still believe, you know, I believe that the retirement plan business has still got done a good enough job in communicating the need for retirement savings to plan participants. I also believe that government hasn't done enough to uh, provide a better access to retirement plan coverage. I mean, the best example is uh, the idea of a open multiple employer plan. It is now uh, six years since the Department of Labor said that uh, any open multiple employer plan where there's no commonality between participating employers is not a single plan. And to this day, that's based on an advisory opinion that they issued to one plan. And the six years since, they haven't released any further guidance to show when an open MEP may be a single employer plan. And you know, to me, open MEPs were a great way for small businesses to group together with other small businesses uh, and offer a retirement plan that was cost effective um, and uh, alleviated a lot of the uh, fiduciary liability headaches that go along with sponsoring a plan. So, you know, I, I think it's a, a measure of what the industry hasn't done and what government hasn't done to promote retirement plan coverage. Yeah, I, I don't know what the number's at today. It's at least 12, uh, 12 states that have rolled out some kind of state-sponsored retirement plan. Some of those are open – some of those are MEPs and some are um, – Yeah, some are, I mean it's funny that the Department of Labor could – in six years couldn't release any type of uh, guidance for these open MEPs, but they've allowed the states to have these uh, IRA programs and you know uh, some – you know, variants of a 401k plan. But the problem with these savings, state savings plan is, uh, the, the, to me, the big problem is, is that when it comes to our money, we still have this, you know, I think this country is a very socially liberal, but when it comes to money, we're very libertarian. And we don't want our government to have any access to our retirement plan money. So I think joining a state sponsored plan is, is something that, you know, most companies are going to be very, very wary of, and I don't think that they'll ever be popular uh, at all. Yeah, I think that that's. I think that that's right on the money. That's an interesting way to look at it. So, um, if you were to, all right. So, so what is, what is the solution? And is it just keep, keep approaching business owners and and do a better job of putting the options in front of them? Is it getting a a, a a a plan option that's that's a little bit less expensive or is it just getting the open map 
passed. I think the open map getting passed is going to be a big thing. Um, and then you may have to have some type of uh, coverage rules that would require employers pass a certain amount of employees to offer some t- type of retirement savings. I mean, people are not going to like that kind of uh, law because they don't want to legislate, but we have to really improve retirement plan coverage and get greater access to retirement plan benefits. And I don't think watering down the fiduciary rules uh, and fiduciary responsibilities of plan sponsors are really the way to go. Uh, I think that you may want to alleviate some of the uh, rules dealing with plans. I still think the um, the ADP test on the 401k side is a little bit uh, arcane in the idea that when it says that I can't have highly compensated employees defer more than 2% than non-highly compensated employees, it doesn't take into effect that you know highly compensated employees, when you're making $150,000, you can defer a lot more to the plan than somebody who's making 25000 And so I don't know if we should eliminate the ADP rule, but I think that we should uh, maybe uh, change the uh, delineation between the highlies and the non-highlies or you know maybe have a universal availability requirement rule that they have with four three B plans, but get the stigma and you know the problems with uh, what plan sponsors see in offering these four one k plans and, and trying to alleviate those problems. So that's why I think an open MEP uh, to me costs were always a big deal with these smaller plans. And you know if you allow open MEPs, that should bring down uh, the uh, cost of administering a plan down to these small businesses when they can group together and. You know, offer this kind of collective plan. Right. Break down costs, make it easier, alleviate fiduciary responsibility or some of the risk, all, all those good things. Um, I like it. Time will tell again, sir. <clears throat> um, well, Ari, Savage Nation is ready for your difference making tip. What do you have for them? Uh, different making tip, I, I think, is dealing with plan sponsors, is that they really have to understand that their plan, uh, they still have to get off the idea that they could set up their plan and forget about it. Um, to me, a retirement plan, a 401k plan is like a garden. You can't just plant seeds and just you know forget about it. You constantly have to uh, water. You constantly have to maintain. Uh, and that's the same thing with a retirement plan. Retirement plan, you can't set it and forget it. Retirement plans change. The population of your uh, employee staff changes. And costs uh, are still uh, a consideration, and there's so many different ways that a retirement plan could go wrong. And you know, when I see what a 401k plan, uh, I'm, my biggest concern for the plan sponsor isn't some type of uh, you know uh, class action lawsuit. It's something as simple as putting deferrals in a couple of days late. Uh, so they always have to get past the idea that they can just set up a plan and just simply forget about it. That's great stuff. That definitely gets. Come on. Come on. So thank you for that. Ari, where can Savage Nation learn more about you? Uh, uh, com and that 401ksite.com, which is more of a 401k-centric and non-401k blog site that I run as well. Excellent. And I think that I saw that there's a conference coming up. What are the details on that? Uh, I went into the 401k advisor conference business, I guess. Uh, did one in New York last month, and we're going to be at Wrigley Field in uh, Chicago on September 13th. It's open up to 401k advisors. You get four hours of content. You get lunch, and you get a meeting with Hall of Famer Andre Dawson. Well, that's a pretty cool deal right there. Excellent. 
Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Ari your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Go to RosenbaumLawFirm.com and that401ksite.com. And if you are a retirement plan advisor, check out the conference as well. Thank you again, Ari. Thank you. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we're all in this together. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing, leave us a review, and definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on!